welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Sarah Rigby, online staff writer at BBC Science Focus magazine. In this week's episode, I talk to science writer Marcus Chown. He tells me everything I need to know about gravity, from Isaac Newton's apple falling from a tree to Einstein's general relativity. So let's start at the very beginning with what most people would understand as gravity, which is what physicists like to call Newtonian gravity, or just gravity as Isaac Newton described it. So what would what would Isaac Newton say that gravity is? Interestingly, uh, Newton did not know what gravity was. Um, all he did was describe it. And from the motion of the the moon around the Earth and the planets around the sun, which had actually been recorded by Johann Kepler, he was able to deduce the way gravity behaved. So he imagined that there was an invisible tether connecting the Earth to the sun, which kept the, the Earth trapped orbiting the sun. And that was the gravitational force. And he was able to work out that it fell off or weakened with what's known as an inverse square law. So if you had two masses and you moved them twice as far apart, the pull, the attractive gravity between them would would be four times less. And if they were three times as far apart, it would be nine times less. So basically, gravity to Newton was an attractive force between any masses. So it was called universal gravity. So every mass pulls on every other mass with an attractive force that weakens with the inverse square of the distance. So actually, incredibly, there's a gravitational force between you and uh, somebody you pass by on the street. There's a gravitational pull between you and the coins in your pocket. And there's a gravitational pull between the moon and the, the earth. But the gravitational traction grows with the amount of mass. Okay, so as you get more and more mass, it becomes stronger. And it turns out that the pull between you and a parcel and the pull between you and the coins in your pocket is too weak to, to measure or to, or to notice. But it's only when you get to astronomical sized bodies that it becomes appreciable. So why is gravity only attractive? Why does it pull and not push? Well, that's a very interesting question. And in fact, I would actually say your question is incorrect because since 1998, <laughs> we've, we've actually discovered that most of the stuff in the universe has repulsive gravity. So in 1998, <laughs> the dark energy was discovered. So we believe the, the universe began in a big bang about 13.8 billion years ago. And the galaxies, the building blocks of the universe, I mean, we live in one of them, the Milky Way, there are two trillion of them, have been flying apart ever since, like pieces of cosmic shrapnel. And so we assumed that the only force operating was gravity, an attractive force between all the galaxies. So you can imagine it's like an invisible web of elastic between all the galaxies. And so it should be slowing down or breaking their expansion. But in 1998, contrary to all expectations, we found that the expansion is actually speeding up. And we've had to postulate the existence of stuff called dark energy, which is invisible, fills all of space, and has repulsive gravity. And it accounts for two-thirds of the mass energy of the universe. So incredibly, until 1998, which is, what's that, 23 years ago, we'd missed the major mass component of the universe. And that stuff, and we've got no idea what it is, has repulsive gravity. So your question, why does it attract? 
most of the stuff in the universe is actually repelling with gravity. <laughs> and interesting, if you, you if you look at Einstein's theory of gravity, the source of uh, gravity, like in Newton's theory, the source was mass. Absolutely mm-hmm. straightforward mass, right? But in Einstein's theory, the source is energy. Okay, so so basically, <laughs> that means that light energy has gravity, heat energy has gravity, sound energy has gravity, and mass energy is is the most compact form of energy we know. So that's that that's what Newton thought that that was the source of gravity. So all these things are, are the source of gravity. Even gravitational energy itself has gravity. And that's, of course, why we know that the, the gravity near the sun is stronger than Newton would have predicted, because not only is there the gravity of the mass of the sun, but there's the gravity of the gravitational energy of the gravitational field around the sun. So that makes gravity stronger near the sun than you would have expected. So incredibly, gravity creates gravity. Anyway, to get to your point, it turns out that energy is not the only source of gravity in Einstein's theory it's actually energy plus I think three times the pressure okay now this pressure term was considered to be of no consequence by uh, Einstein because normal matter doesn't really have much pressure I mean a, a gas has pressure if you if you if you inflate a balloon it you know that the, the plastic or the rubber of the balloon is being pushed into a sphere by the pressure of the of the of the uh, air that you you blow the balloon. That pressure is negligible compared to the energy content of matter. So it was considered to be of no consequence. But now we think that term actually is important. And that is the term that is delivering the dark energy. So because if you have negative pressure, right, which is the opposite of what you'd expect. So if you can imagine if you um, normal pressure is, is, is the pressure of air pushing outwards to keep a balloon inflated, negative pressure would be sucking inwards. If you have negative pressure and it's big enough, the energy term which generates gravity can be reversed because the pressure term, energy plus pressure, the pressure term can negate the energy and give you repulsive gravity. So this is what we think is, is happening. So we think there is a kind of stuff in the universe, invisible, fills all of, all of space, and has very large negative pressure. It's unlike anything that we've ever experienced or known about before. And that negative pressure, incredibly, is giving it repulsive gravity, completely the opposite of what you'd expect. Wow. So is this what we might think of in science fiction as anti-gravity? Well, in a sense, yes. The only the only caveat is that the dark energy, well, it's in the room where you are now, you know, it's on the earth, it's everywhere, right? Mm. But we believe that it's, its energy energy density is incredibly tiny. So we don't notice its effect. So basically, if you double the, 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 the amount of this stuff, it has double the repulsion. You know, if you triple the amount, you have triple the repulsion. But the, the, this energy is so small that, that within the solar system, it never builds up to anything that we can actually, you know, we can't actually see its effect. And it's only on very large scales, cosmological scales, when there's enough of this stuff that its repulsive effect overcomes gravity and dominates gravity and causes the expansion of the universe. So, so this stuff is incredibly weak. Kind of, yeah, you're right. It, it, it does, it does give you, it does give mm-hmm. you anti-gravity, but practically um, not very useful on, on the human scale. 
and now I, th- I think maybe we've got a bit ahead of ourselves. So let's just take a step back and talk about Einstein's theory of gravity or what we like to call relativity. So what did Einstein have to say about gravity? Well, basically, he, he was looking for a theory. Basically, in 1905, in his miraculous year, he was able to work out what the world would look like, what, what people or what an, a person or observer would look like if they were flying past you at constant speed. And he found if that speed was close to the speed of light, then that person would appear to be moving in slow motion because their time would slow down. They would appear to flatten in the direction of motion because their space would would shrink. So these were two effects of special relativity. But he realised that motion at constant speed was a a bit of a, a a bit special. I mean, really, most of the motion we see around is acceleration. You know, a car accelerates away from traffic lights. You know, a rocket accelerates. So he wanted to generalise his theory to find out what what it would look like, you know, what what, what the world looked like for an observer who was accelerating. And he discovered that this was exactly the same as finding a theory of gravity. So this was his his most wonderful, he said, the the most wonderful thought of his life. He discovered that it was the same. Basically, the theory is based on an observation that had been made by Galileo three or four hundred years before, 300 years before, and that observation, we're probably all aware of this, is that all masses fall at, the, fall at the same rate. You know, and this was demonstrated on the moon by, I think, it was, was it Apollo 17 astronaut? He dropped a feather and a golf ball or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they both hit the lunar, you know, you dropped them from the same height. They hit the lunar soil at exactly the same time. And you could see a puff of moon dust. So that was correct. So the question is, why does that happen? OK, because normally you would expect that the gravity on the bigger, on the more massive body would be stronger, you know, because it's got more mass, more attraction, so it should fall faster. How could this be? And he he came up with a a, a really, really simple explanation of why. Uh, And that really is that gravity as a force pretty much doesn't exist. And and so he, he imagined being in a craft far away from the gravity of any planet, so zero gravity, and the spacecraft is accelerating at 1G, so exactly the acceleration of, of, you know, we experience on the Earth's surface. He imagined just having, say, a feather and and a golf ball in your hands and letting go of them. And what would actually happen if you were the astronaut in that cabin, you would see the feather and the golf ball fall to the floor at the same time. But if you were looking from outside, if the spacecraft were transparent, you'd see that there's a really simple explanation for that. And that is that the, the feather and the golf ball just hang in space. They don't move at all. But the floor of the spacecraft accelerates up at 1G and meets both of them at the same time. How can it not? Because there's only one floor. It's got to meet them at the, meet them at the same time. So this is really his explanation, that gravity is an apparent force because we don't realise that we're actually accelerating. And, and, and he later discovered that, that space itself was, was curved. The reason we don't know we're accelerating is because it's curved in in higher dimensions, in four dimensions that we can't actually see. So, for instance, we think of that the Newton thought that the Earth was tethered, in effect, to the to the sun by this invisible force. But Einstein realised that's not the case. What actually happens is the mass of the sun 
curves the, the space or space time around the sun, creates a valley. And in effect, the earth rolls around the edge of this valley, around the top of this valley, like a roulette ball in a roulette wheel. Okay, so what we think of as gravity doesn't actually exist. The ball is just going, or the earth is just going along the, 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 the path, the only path it can go, go along. And it looks to us because it's going around in a circle that there must be a force trapping it in the vicinity of the sun. So does this mean if Einstein came up with this brand new theory, does that mean that Isaac Newton was wrong about gravity? Um, Newton was not wrong about gravity, but he 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 was basically um, describing gravity in a, in a special case. Um, Einstein was it's a more general theory. So um, because there there are a couple of problems with special relativity and gravity. So in 1905, when Einstein came up with the simpler theory, the theory which special relativity, which is really about the motion of, of observers moving at constant speed relative to each other, when he came up with that, he instantly knew that there was something was wrong or, or, or wasn't quite correct. And that was because the theory of special relativity was based on the assumption that the speed of light was uncatchable. So the speed of light, and, and that, that means that speed of light is actually a constant, that you can you can deduce that the speed of light has to be constant from that. And so nothing could travel faster than the speed of light. So, of course, Newton was assuming that there's this gravitational force between the sun and the earth, and he's assuming it's instantaneous, you know, it's just there. Uh, so he's assuming that it's, it's it basically gravitational influence moves at infinite speed. What Einstein knew was that, that gravity itself would have to travel at the speed of light. And therefore, Newton's picture couldn't be correct. So Newton would make, Newton would have said, if the sun were to vanish, then the Earth would instantaneously fly off at a tangent towards the nearest star, because suddenly it would not be under the gravitational pull of the sun. But Einstein knew that if the sun were to vanish, it would be eight and a half minutes before the Earth recognised this. Okay, so it continues circling around the sun or orbiting the sun for eight and a half minutes because that's the time it would take for the Earth to realise that the gravitational influence had, had, had vanished because there's an upper speed limit. And the other thing that, that Einstein uh, discovered in his uh, 1905 theory of special relativity was, was E equals mc squared, that mass is a form of energy. Uh, and so he realised that energy itself had to be the source of gravity. It wasn't simply just mass, any form of energy. So those two modifications were needed for his next theory. So, yeah, in, in a sense, he went beyond Newton. But Newton's theory is actually works incredibly well within our solar system, so well that you really need to use Einstein's theory, for instance, to send a space probe to Titan or Saturn or something like that. You can just use, use Newton's theory. It's a really, really good approximation. But when gravity becomes very strong around objects like black holes and things like that, or very, very close to the sun, you can just see the effect of Einstein's theory near the sun because said gravitational energy has gravity. And so nearer the sun, there are two sources of gravity, the mass of the sun plus its own gravitational energy so that the so gravity is slightly stronger. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a marginal effect within the solar system, but around objects where there's strong gravity, you really do need Einstein's theory. Right. So are there any times on Earth when we need to use 
general relativity? Pretty much every minute of every day, if you've got a smartphone or you use GPS, because the basically what the software on your phone does is it works out your position on the surface of the Earth relative to global, global positioning satellites. And at any one time, there could be, I don't know, five or six above the horizon. So it works out your position relative to those. And that, those satellites, they actually carry clocks, very, very accurate clocks. And one of the consequences of Einstein's theory of gravity of 1915, which is general relativity, is that it's not just space that is warped, by the presence of mass, it's space-time. So time itself is warped as well. So you find that when something is in strong gravity, its time flows more slowly. So what we find with these, these global positioning satellites is, is they're in highly elliptical orbits, elongated objects. And when they swing in close to the Earth, they're in stronger gravity and the clocks slow down. And when they swing back out again, the clocks speed up. So the software in your smartphone or GPS system has to compensate for that effect. And if it didn't, you would get your position on the Earth's surface wrong by an extra 50 metres every day. Wow. So general relativity sounds like quite a powerful theory, but does it explain everything? Does it have all of gravity completely well explained or are there any holes in it? General relativity is an interesting theory in that it actually... Uh, contains the seeds of its own destruction. So, so <laughs> within it, as you just rightly said, there are holes. Uh, they were known about by Einstein. So it shows its own limits. So what it predicts is that if mass, um, a large mass shrinks under its own gravity to form what we now call a black hole, everything skyrockets to infinity. The, 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 the density, the temperature, everything becomes infinite, what we call a singularity. And a singularity is an indication that your theory is wrong, okay? because it's, an, it's a nonsense. It's, an, it's a complete nonsense. Uh, and we also know that, that the, when we, if we were to run the expansion of the universe backwards you know, in our imagination, back to the Big Bang, we would also meet another singularity which is nonsense. So we know that the theory breaks down in those two uh, instances. So we know that, that, that even general relativity is an approximation of a deeper theory. So that's, that's although it's fantastic, we know that it breaks down. Right, okay. But we can be pretty confident that black holes exist. I mean, we've taken a picture of one just a yeah. few years ago. Where have we gone wrong with the physics of black holes? What is it about black holes that general relativity can't explain? Well, it, general relativity doesn't tell us what happens at the centre of a black hole because it, general relativity predicts something which is nonsense, which is a singularity. Basically, mm -hmm. all bets are off. That's not, that's not that mathematically, that, that's, your, your theory is just wrecked. So it break, in, in effect, it breaks down. So we know that something else has to happen at the centre of a black hole. Something has to form, you know, maybe some dense nugget of material, but 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 not a singularity. And and we do know that there is another theory. The two towering achievements of 20th century physics are general relativity, our theory of gravity, Einstein's theory of gravity, and quantum theory. And quantum theory is generally a theory of very small things, you know, like atoms and their constituents. And general relativity, because gravity is only gets strong on the big scale, tends to be a theory of big things. 
And and on the whole, that's there's no real conflict because you know there's the theory of big things, stars and galaxies in the universe, and there's the theory of small things. You know the the atoms and things in your smartphone, and they don't really overlap. But when you get to the the, the near the center of a black hole, as matter shrinks down to to that, or, or the singularity at the beginning of the universe something very big becomes very small. So, you know, we think that the Big Bang, the entire universe was smaller than an atom. So you have to unite these two theories. If you want to describe what was actually happening, you have to unite quantum theory and general relativity. And that's proved very, very hard because the two theories are fundamentally incompatible. If you take general relativity and the rest of physics, it, it, it describes things like the path of a, of a planet, you know, the, the orbit of a planet. That's the thing that you can describe. But quantum theory, there's no such thing in quantum theory. An atom does not follow a single path. It follows, it, it can follow any of a number of different paths through space, each of which has a certain chance of happening. So even the idea of a, of a, of a path, of through, a single path through space, which is fundamental to general relativity, is not even allowed in quantum theory. So to cut a long story short, Einstein's theory of gravity is a theory of certainty. You know, we, we certainly know where the moon will be tomorrow. We certainly know what it will be the day afterwards. Whereas quantum theory is a theory of uncertainty. So how you unite a theory of certainty with a theory of uncertainty, I mean, that's really boggled the brains of the best physicists. <laughs> Just going back to black holes for a minute, every, everyone sort of knows that black holes have really, really strong gravity. And the sort of common phrase is that the gravity is so strong that not even light can escape. But how is that possible? How is it possible for light to get trapped by gravity? In Einstein's picture, what actually happens, a mass actually warps this time around it. So it creates a kind of valley in the space-time. We can't actually see it because space-time is a four-dimensional thing. And, and, of course, that's why it took the genius of, of Einstein to realise. But if you imagine compressing that mass, gravity becomes more and more intense. So that little valley becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. And eventually, if you compress that mass to a critical amount, the valley becomes infinitely uh, deep. So it becomes like an infinite well, an, an infinite pit. And really what actually happens is light cannot actually climb out of that pit because as it climbs out, it loses energy. And by the time it actually gets to the, to the top of that, that, that deep well, it's lost all of its energy. So that's really what's happening. It's not that light is actually getting trapped because it can't reach that, that enough speed to get out. It's simply that it's just cannot, it's sapped of all energy trying to get out. It, it can't escape. So that's why a black hole is black. But, but interestingly, the bigger the black hole, the less extreme the conditions around it. And, and uh, in the centres of galaxies, are, including our own Milky Way, and we've got no idea why this is the case, there is a supermassive black hole in pretty much every galaxy, some of them up to about 30 or 50 billion times the mass of the sun. These holes, you could quite happily wander into the black hole without any ill effects because the, 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 the gravitational forces are not enough to to do you any damage whatsoever i mean you can never get out again but uh, mm -hmm. they're, they're not as, but the most extreme conditions are near the, the smaller mass black holes like the stellar mass black holes so it's a bit like um chili peppers the smaller it is the uh the more powerful it is 
I've never heard that analogy, but you're completely <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we call this kind of, I mean, you probably know that the reason that they, they are so dangerous to smaller ones is because gravity, the gravitational force changes rapidly as you get close to the black hole. And you, you know, and, and if you were an astronaut and you were falling feet first, you would find that the gravitational pull on your feet was a lot greater than on your head and you'd be ripped apart. However, that force or that difference in force, which we call a tidal force, is not so great with really big black holes. And so you could uh, fall in and probably not even notice that you've actually fallen into a supermassive black hole. But of course, you can never get out again, unfortunately. Mm. I've heard that that effect where your your feet are sort of pulled much more strongly by the black hole than your head and you, you get stretched out as a result. I've heard that that's called spaghettification. Yeah, that's that's the word. So that's good, <laughs> if you're playing Scrabble this Christmas, uh, that's, a good, that's a good word to use. Yeah, they're, they're, they are extraordinary things. I mean, the other thing that happens is that when you get close to a black hole, um, there is a there is a distance from a black hole relatively close to it where light is bent so much in, in this kind of valley around the, the black hole that that light actually orbits a black hole. So if you were to be uh, near, you know, at that point, you could look sideways, not directly at the black hole, and see the back of your own head. So these are the these are the effects of extreme curvature of space time that you get around a black hole. And just to finish up this episode, could you please just uh, tell us three things you think we all need to know about gravity? Things we need to know about gravity. Okay, the first thing we need to know, and nobody knows this, is why there are four fundamental forces which glue together everything in the universe, you and me. And gravity is one followed by 40 zeros weaker. So a factor of one followed by 40 zeros weaker than the others. I mean, no one knows why, why that is. I mean, it's such an incredibly huge factor. That's the first thing. Nobody knows that. We also need to know how to unite quantum theory and Einstein theory of gravity. Nobody knows how to do that. Only one framework even attempts to do that. And that is called string theory. But unfortunately, string theory doesn't seem to predict anything that that we can go out and measure. And it tells us that there are six invisible dimensions, which we don't see. So there there are some problems with that. And and the other thing, the last thing that, that would be absolutely fantastic to know is why the hell is there a supermassive black hole in the heart of every galaxy? We've got no idea how they could have got there. When we look back uh, in our telescopes, uh, you know, back in time to, to almost the big the Big Bang, we can see that these giant black holes existed. So they must have formed very, very quickly. Uh, but how did billions of solar masses accumulate and form these supermassive black holes? And then, sorry, I'm adding a fourth question now, and that is, <laughs> what came first? The supermassive black holes or galaxies, you know, the chicken and egg question. So did supermassive black holes form very quickly in some way? We've got no idea how after the Big Bang and form the seeds that sucked in the material that became the stars of galaxies. Or did the galaxies form first and then maybe material fall towards their centre and create create these supermassive black holes? I mean, we've got no idea. But, But the interesting thing is that although for most of the 20th century, physicists were trying to prove that black holes didn't exist. When they when they were forced to admit that they did, they thought they ha- they would definitely have to be some kind of inconsequential thing, you know, on, on the frontier of, of physics, of not central at all. But the fact that there's a supermassive black hole in the centre of every galaxy is saying, telling us that they are 
absolutely key and central to our understanding of the universe, but we've got no idea why. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was science writer Marcus Chown. To hear him tell me all about the physics of gravitational waves, head over to Instant Genius Extra, available only on Apple Podcasts. The November issue of BBC Science Focus magazine is out now. Pick up a copy in store or visit sciencefocus.com. Thank you.